This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Again, if, if you are new to Harvest, we thank you so much for being here. Um, we, as I said before, we're, we're just a, a family believers. We are a small expression of the body of Christ. We love God and we love people and we choose to serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus, right? So guys, if you're part of the Harvest family, say it with me. What is the vision? The vision of Harvest is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through what? Community, discipleship, and outreach. So over the past year, through 2020, we went through uh, the Bible, and we discovered God's plan for humanity from the very beginning on into eternity, right? That's what we went through. And so over the past month, um, as we came out of that, for the past month, we have discussed God's general purpose and will for the family of God and, you know, those who have repented and made Jesus Lord of their life. And so what I want to do is, it's exactly what I told you I, I want to do moving forward. I want to begin to very simply discuss the practicalities of the Christian life. And I, I want to begin to go through the New Testament and see the instructions that the apostles were giving to the early church, and which is ultimately us, right? Somebody say me. me. So we've talked, I, I talked about this a number of times. You know, when we start reading in the book of Acts, the, the, the church was brand spanking new, right? Brand new. And people were coming and they were putting their faith and lordship in Jesus. They were coming in droves. The Lord was adding daily, right, to the number that were being saved. And there were a lot of things that needed to be discussed. It was a pagan world that they were living in, where they were going and sharing this good news. And so, you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but, you know, uh, we look at these passages, especially where Paul, and he, 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 addresses, he addresses certain groups of sins and things, right? He addresses, you know, he, he addresses issues like prostitution and drunkenness and abuse and cheating and homosexuality and adultery and lying and, and worship of idols. And he addresses strife and quarreling and gossip and all these other things. Why do they, so many times, why do they spend time talking about that? Because it was a problem, <laughs> right? These were issues. People were coming into the church, and this was the baggage they were bringing with them. And they were living in a world that said that many of these things were okay. And Paul's going, uh-uh, we need to talk. Hold up. You've given your life to Jesus. We've got to make some changes, right? And so none of these things that I just mentioned, we know that none of them are new, right? As a matter of fact, They've been around for a long time, but they have no place in the life of a follower of Christ. And, and it's funny because the world looks at passages like this in Scripture, and the world says, well, man, God's just trying to keep, keep you know, people from having a good time. You know, the church is just full of a bunch of do-good, you know, do-gooders that, you know, whatever else. And the reality is God's not trying to, he's not trying to keep us from a good time. He's trying to keep us from destruction. He loves us. He's trying to save us from living a destructive life. And so the problem is that many of these things, those things I just mentioned, 
are, you know, are, are not condemned today. And as a matter of fact, people see them as their rights to live these different types of lifestyles. And, and it's crept into the church. And I, and I honestly think that if Paul were alive today and writing the things that he wrote in the epistles, I think people would respond and say, it's my life. Quit judging me. Mind your own business. Isn't that the world that we live in today? And I think that this mindset has contributed to something I see as a, as a big issue today. And that being that most people don't even really know what a Christian is anymore. I think many Christians don't know what a Christian is. I think there are many people that have been born and raised in the church and they don't have an understanding of what it really means to be Christian. And so that's what I told you that I want to talk about as we're coming up next on what it means to be a believer. Now, the thing is, most of us here in this place today, most of us, we would call ourselves Christians, right? So this new series I'm calling Identity. You may follow along in the YouVersion Bible app. All the notes are loaded there if you don't know how to get to that. Again, scan the little barcode, the little QR code on the, of the chair in front of you, and, uh, and you can get to that. But that's one of the first questions I want to address and I want to talk about today for a moment is addressing, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do we believe as, as Christians? And look, it's, it's not about those sins, that I just mentioned. It's, that's not what it's about. Um, but we do have to know what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And we need to know how a Christian is supposed to respond in the midst of trials and troubles and tribulations. We need to know the kind of Christian husband and fathers that we're supposed to be. Right, men? We need to know the ways that Christians are supposed to interact and respond to the world. We need to know the way a Christian is supposed to handle their finances. We need to know how Christians are supposed to respond to offense. We need to know how Christians are expected to raise their children. Right? It's a new life. We've been born again. We're a new creation. So what's expected? So... I'll be real honest with you guys. I've, I've gotten to the place where I don't like the label Christian a whole lot anymore because of this. A lot of people call themselves Christian. <laughs> and I look at them and go, that's not me. <laughs> right? How many of you have ever been there? I, like I said, I don't know that anybody really knows what it means. Jesus said that you would know his followers by their fruit. I see a lot of people calling themselves Christians, and the fruit is rotten. Bad stuff. Many people don't see any difference in Christians than the fact that they've placed this label on themselves called Christian. And unfortunately, because of this, along with that label comes all kinds of preconceptions and connotations to the world. Oh, you're a Christian. You ever seen anybody look at you that way? Mm, ah, okay. Guys, 
I would much rather be known as a follower of Jesus. Over 2 billion people in the world profess to be Christian. But not everybody has the same definition of what that means. And, you know, it's funny, we look at our celebrities. It's so funny, celebrities. The way, the way that, especially our country, the way we idolize celebrities as Americans. And there are a few out there that do claim to be Christian, and, and you look at them and you're like, okay, maybe, maybe I can I'd see that. There, there's a few out there. Uh, you know, I, you, you look at people like... Um, uh, uh, Reba McIntyre, Denzel Washington, or, or uh, you know, people like uh, uh, Tim Tebow. He, you know, bows, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's Christian, right? We, we know that he is. Uh, Mr. Rogers, man, I, I love Mr. Rogers. Yeah, he was a Presbyterian minister, right? And Evander Holyfield. We look at some of these folks who use the label, but how many of you know most of them that use that label are raging against all biblical morality and God's values. They'll say, and here, here's where you'll see the difference. They'll say things like, well, even I'm a Christian, but everybody should have the right to blank. Or they'll say, I'm a Christian, but even I realize the Bible was written a long time ago and things have changed. So, blank, whatever. Or they'll say, well, even I'm a Christian, but I can't believe that's what God meant because God would never, blank. You guys, these statements are filled with so much arrogance. <laughs> And they're not Christian in any way. And with this mindset, anybody can twist scripture and call themselves a Christian, right? So you may not realize this, but do y'all know that especially early on, Adolf Hitler considered himself a Christian? You, you do know he was going to be a priest, right? Do you guys realize that the Ku Klux Klan considers itself a Christian organization? Do you know that part of their oath when they join the Ku Klux Klan is to swear to uphold biblical morality? Do you know, I, I read uh, this week, I read a, a grandmaster or whatever they call them in the Ku Klux Klan. One of them was talking about the burning crosses and how it's meant to represent the light of Jesus. And that many times they pray or sing a hymn before they light a cross. What? Anybody have trouble with that? <laughs> two hands, thank you. One person, two hands, thank you. <laughs> Guys, I don't know if you've ever looked into it, but do you understand how many people since the times of the early church have been rejected and mistreated and abused, even slaughtered in the name of Christianity. Can we recognize that something's wrong? So what does it mean to be a Christian? 
Even the most recent stats show that the majority of, Christ, of Americans still claim to be Christian today, profess to be Christian. Many people claim that they're Christian because they were born into a Christian family or because they maybe attend church on a regular basis. And I don't know about you, but I found, I, I, I don't ask people anymore, are you a Christian? Because if you ask an American, are you a Christian? Usually the response is, I'm Catholic. What? Are you a Christian? I, I'm Presbyterian. I'm Methodist. I'm Episcopal. What? I was, uh, they'll say, I was, I was baptized in Lutheran church when I was five. Did you answer the question? Not sure. A lot of Americans will say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I talk to God sometimes. I give to those in need. I'm a good person. Some people think that because they recited a prayer at a vacation Bible school, their mom made them go to once when they were seven, that all's good. Some people think if they can do enough Hail Marys, Everything's a-okay, right? How many of you know the reality is that none of these things make you a Christian? Right? So where does the term Christian come from? Many of you know this, and I'm, I'm going to read some familiar passages today. But interestingly enough, some of you may not know this, but Jesus never called his followers Christians. Please, and please understand, I'm not saying Christian is a bad term whatsoever. I'm a Christian, okay? But Jesus never referred to his followers as Christians, nor did the early church. They did not call themselves Christians. They, they generally referred to themselves as followers of the way, right? So instead, people outside the church began to recognize this group of people who were making a ruckus in the, in the, in the world there. And these people are the ones who came up with the label Christian. And it was meant to describe people who had accepted, believed in, and, and followed the teachings of Jesus. And so, if you want to look real quick in your Bibles, in Acts chapter 11, this is where we see it. Um, many of you are familiar with this. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. In the New American Standard, it says, And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Actually, this is referring to Barnabas. Barnabas left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, the city of Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples, he, they're called disciples, right? The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You guys see that? So the term Christian here basically refers to a follower of Christ. And, and, and as I just said, it refers to them as disciples. The disciples were called Christians, which means followers of Christ. So understand this about, about disciples. We think of disciples and we think of, we think of students. Well, I guess a disciple is a student, right? But it actually goes a bit beyond that because what a disciple does is a disciple emulates and embraces and models their life after their master, the one they're following, right? So the early believers were called Christians not just because they knew Jesus' teachings, not just because they necessarily believed in them, but because they put their old life behind them. They accepted Jesus' death and resurrection as payment for their sins, and then they emulated Jesus in the way that they lived. Many believe that the term Christian may have actually been a mocking term. 
They may have actually been mocked by the world by being called Christian. But I can only imagine the pride that they had to take in that as being recognized as disciples of Jesus. And so these things are still true for you and me today. Simply put, a Christian is a follower of Jesus. And if there's anything I want you to remember today as, we, as we're kind of starting this series and talking about identity and what it means to be a Christian, a Christian is a Christ follower. It means no matter what comes, no matter what happens in this life, come hell or high water, we model our life after the master and we emulate his ways. Amen? So, as Christians, we believe God's word, and God's word teaches us a number of things as disciples, as followers of Jesus. And I want to give you, I'm going to give you six things um, this morning that we believe as followers of Jesus. All right? Y'all ready? So, number one, first thing we believe from God's word as followers of Jesus. Number one, God's love was sent to us through the person of Jesus. Non-negotiable for the believer, right? We know from going through the Bible last year that this was God's plan all along. Man willfully sinned against God. Brought, it brought separation between us and the Father. Mankind couldn't save himself from the curse of death. So what does the father do? He sends his only begotten son to take our sin and our sickness and our lack and death and the curse and to take upon himself the penalty for it, right? So in John 3.16, you guys know this, but I'm going to read it from the New American Standard. I'm going to read through verse 18. Y'all follow along and think about this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him, in Jesus, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. As this point is basically this simple. God loved, so God gave. Right? God was moved with compassion when we were lost in our sin. So through love, as we talked about like Jesus when he was moved to compassion, how it meant actually moved to action, God was moved to action on our behalf and manifested through the person of Jesus. So the reality is when we feel conviction or when we feel stretched, as a believer, God's not judging you, right? He's not judging you. But he does love us too much to leave us in the state we were in when he found us. He's moved with compassion toward us. I'm, I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But Jesus came to earth to demonstrate God's love to everyone and to give eternal life to anyone who surrenders their life to Jesus. So that's the first thing I want to mention. God's love was sent to us through the person of Jesus. Second thing, for a Christian, understanding that no one is born Christian. Now, to most of you, that, that's like a, you know, no duh, you know. But 
But have you ever thought, I mean, I don't know if you've thought about this, but if you're born into a Jewish family, what are you? You're Jewish, right? If you're born into a Muslim family, what are you? Well, actually, Muslims believe that everybody is born Muslim. They just walk away from the true faith. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is, no one is born Christian. It doesn't matter if you were born and raised in the church, in a Christian home. The fact is, you're not born a Christian. You're reborn a Christian, right? So it's a completely separate action. Something else that is required. Now, in the, I was thinking about how in the 1960s and the 1970s, I, I referred to that a few weeks ago as the, the Jesus movement, right? I mean, any of you around during the Jesus movement? <laughs> Nobody wants to admit it. <laughs> yeah. During the Jesus movement, that's where we began to hear the term born again Christian. And that label became very popular, and I think that, you know, it was, it was kind of created to try to clarify and, and bring that distinction, you know, of those who, you know, were, were following Christ, who were Christ followers. But I think, too, that it brought a lot of confusion. What in the world? Born again Christian. What in the world does that even mean, especially to the world? And, and, and so I imagine... Most of the world didn't understand what that meant unless they had some kind of understanding of how Jesus used this idea and this example, you know, metaphorically, well, not really metaphorically in the physical, but no one else could really, could know what this meant. And and so we know that birth in the physical brings life, but when we look at it, even Nicodemus, who is this educated Pharisee, he struggles to understand this born-again stuff that Jesus is talking about, right? And so, let's look at that for just a moment. In John chapter 3, verses 2 through 7, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water in the flesh, right? And the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. So he's explaining that this rebirth is not a physical act, right? It's a spiritual act, and it's something that only God can do because only God can bring spiritual life. And and this is really something that distinguishes Christianity from most other world religions. Because, you know, in many other world religions, it's about how good. You're you're trying to earn something, right? It's about how good or religious you are. It's about, but it's not the same with Christianity. It's about allowing God to make you a new creation. And we know that when we do that, it transforms us from the inside out, that it's, it's not a religion, it's a relationship where we become God's child, 
right? So God's love was sent to us through the person of Jesus. No one is born a Christian. The third thing that we recognize as Christians, that in humility, we acknowledge that we're not perfect, but he is. In humility, we recognize that we're not perfect. So I, that's a popular saying. We, we, we like to say, well, nobody's perfect. You, usually it's when we've messed up, right? <laughs> we've messed up. Oh, well, nobody's perfect, right? And, and, and obviously that's, that's, that's very true because we see imperfection all around us. We, we see imperfection in ourselves. But in reality, generally this imperfection that we see in life and we see in ourself is generally something that we don't like to talk about. Sin. Now, many of you may not realize this, but the word sin um, was actually originally an archery term. Did y'all know that? The word sin, it means to miss the mark. In archery, the distance between the bullseye and where the arrow landed, it was called sin. See what I'm talking about? The problem is that for the human being, what is required is a bullseye. Right? Every single time. Bullseye. Perfection. Anything outside of that bullseye is sin. Has anybody ever hit a bullseye every single time? No, of course not. Because we're not perfect. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Every single day we see evidence in our life of where we have missed the mark or, or some versions say the standard of God. And the Bible tells us that sin has very real consequences as well, right? In Romans chapter 6, what's verse 23 say? For the wages of sin is what? Death. That's the price. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as you have experienced in your own life, sin affects our relationships, right? And as we know from going through the Bible last year, it very much affects our relationship with God as human beings. And it brought separation between us and God. Sin hurts, sin destroys, sin keeps us from accomplishing what God has for us in this life. We are imperfect and it is human nature to sin because of the curse. But, number four, as Christians, we must accept Jesus' perfect payment for our sins. Right? You know, it's, it's, it's funny, I found that Many Christians today, I saw this in our youth group years ago, cannot answer a single question. If I, I found that I can stump many Christians today by just simply asking the question, why did Jesus have to die? Many of them have been through enough altar calls to go, for my sin? Question mark, like asking the question back, right? For my, for my, for my sin? Is that right? Then ask him, yeah, so how did that work? Uh, I found that most Christians don't have a clue. And honestly, guys, you know, I, I, the world doesn't get it, right? Does it make any sense to those outside, those in the world, the, to look? I mean, they see us as celebrating the gory death of some guy 2,000 years ago. How weird is that? And we wear his means of execution around our neck. That's weird. 
right? If you don't have the context and understand. Anybody in here going to go around wearing an electric chair around your neck? Thank you for the electric chair. No. The world doesn't understand. The world doesn't get it. I mean... It's funny because, you know, as believers, we, we've talked about how things are so different, upside down, opposite in the kingdom than they are in the world. Actually, it's, it's, the, it's the world that's upside down, right? To, to live, you die. And to, we die to live to, we live to die and die to live? What, what kind of sense does that make, right? Why do we make such a big deal about Jesus' death? Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's a penalty for death, right? We just read it, Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. So knowing that there's this death, this, this penalty of sin being death, as Christians, we understand that Jesus is our substitute, right? We like to refer to it as the great exchange. Death was the payment that was due to be forgiven of our violations, Jesus paid the price. Now, you guys do understand that God could have expected us to pay the price ourselves, and he had every right to do so, right? But he didn't. Because of his love and compassion, he was moved to action. And Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, fully man, fully God, coming to die in our place. You guys know this, 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were constantly straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. And it's funny because I was thinking even the world loves stories and movies where somebody sacrificially gives their life for another, right? And, you know... Why is that? I think it's because it's a a big deal. It's the ultimate expression of love. Even the world recognizes that. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Payment was due for you. The debt collector named Death. He was coming for you. He was bringing the check. And Jesus said, no, I've got this one. I'll pay for that one. I got it. And he gave everything, right? To pay your sin debt. It is a big deal. It's the best news in the world. But here's the deal, guys. The resurrection was even a bigger deal because the resurrection signified that he had beaten death, hell, and the grave. The curse was broken, right? The curse can be broken over your life. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I'm going to read you. Some of you know this, but I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation. It says, For God made the only one, the only man, who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. And that is why, guys, this could only happen through Jesus. A lot of these folks out there in the world that are calling themselves Christians right now are starting to say things like, well, Jesus isn't the only way. I follow him, but he's not the only way. Yikes. Not true. 
It had to be Jesus because he was perfect, completely sinless in every way, right? Yet he still volunteered to take our punishment for something that he didn't, didn't do. And that's why Jesus is the only way to the Father. Amen? He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. doesn't matter if we like it or not. It's the best news ever. So we recognize that God sent, God's love was sent through the person of Jesus, that nobody's born a Christian. We acknowledge we're imperfect, but he is. We accept Jesus' perfect payment for our sins. The fifth thing I want to mention is that salvation is a gift of grace received by faith that cannot be earned. We have to believe this, guys. Non-negotiable. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Many of you know this, and I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation as well. Listen to this. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast. For salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. Are there rewards for good works? Yeah, there are rewards for good works, right? But salvation is not one of them. Salvation is a free gift we receive. Are there conditions for us to come forward and receive salvation? Yes, yes. But it is a free gift of grace. Many people today exhaust themselves trying to be good enough to measure up and to be accepted by God. As Christians, that's not what we're to believe. As a matter of fact, this is another one of those lines of distinctions between Christianity and other world religions. Like, like I said earlier, in most world religions, you've got to measure up. You've got to hit a certain standard. You've got to do so many works in order to be accepted. Not so for the Christian because the reality is we can never measure up. Right? No one can ever be good enough to earn salvation or acceptance by the Father. Nobody's perfect, right? Are there good people? By earthly standards, there are great people. Great people. But remember, the spiritual standard is the bullseye. Are there perfect people? No, of course not. Of course not. Only Jesus is perfect. He came to live among us, to teach us, to guide us. To die in our place, to give us new life and eternal life. Free gift by faith. All we've got to do is surrender and choose to receive it, right? Last thing I want to mention. As Christians, number six, we don't just know God's word, we live it. And this is what I was talking about at the beginning. You guys know James chapter 2, where it, it says, faith without works is dead, right? Look what it says. Look at the way they word that passage in the Passion Translation. My dear brothers and sisters, listen to this, guys. Listen. What good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? How could this kind of faith save anyone? For example, if a brother or sister in faith is poorly clothed and hungry, and you leave them saying, goodbye, I hope you stay warm and have plenty to eat, 
but you don't provide them with a coat or even a cup of soup, then what good is your faith? Faith that doesn't involve action is phony. That's the one that got me too. I said, daggone. Man, whoa. Faith that doesn't involve action is phony. Guys, y'all know Jesus went as far as to say in John chapter 14, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he keeps my word, right? And say, he just hears my word or believes my word, he keeps my word. We're not meant to have the words of Jesus in us for the sake of having more head knowledge. All along, this was meant to be walked out, to be lived out every day of our life with every word that we speak, right? His word is where we learn our identity in this new life. One more scripture. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. From the Message Bible. You guys know this, but listen. Let me give you a new command. And actually, let me set this up for just a second. This is right before Jesus died. This is actually actually the Last Supper. Okay? So this is hours before Jesus would die. How many of you consider that words that are spoken in the last hours of your life are probably important ones? Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that the disciples, their faith was about to be tested. Things were about to get tough. So what does he say to them? Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. And this is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples. When they see the love that you have for each other. Guys, being a Christian is more than believing in Jesus. May I suggest, you've probably heard it said before, that Satan himself believes in Jesus maybe more than you do. Very much so, right? Does that mean that he's saved? Of course not. Of course not. Heavens no. (laughs) As Christians, we are to be doers of God's word and not hearers only. And this is where I believe we in the body of Christ need to shore things up and make a big shift. We need to make sure that our actions line up with the word. So in conclusion, a Christian believes that Jesus is the son of God. Amen. That he loved us. He died for us for our sins, paid the penalty and rose again. Christian believes that we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace, free gift from God. Christians are so moved and so riveted by God's love, by his grace, by his embrace, that we live out our faith for real. Every day, in every moment, in every situation. A Christian follows Christ. A Christian is a Christ follower.
So that's my question. Are you a Christ follower? I don't care how young you were when you got baptized, what family you were raised in. Are you a Christ follower? Do you model and emulate your life after the master? Guys, we missed the mark. Our sins are paid for. Yes, you're not going to get this right every time. I'm not trying to bring condemnation in any way. But I'm saying it's time for us to make a concerted effort to shore our lives up and make sure we're a good model of Jesus because he calls us his hands and feet in the earth today. Amen? Let's stand up together. Worship team comes up. We're going we're gonna to close out here in just a moment. Guys, I know that as we start this series on what it means to be a Christian, I know that some of this can come across as basic, but how many of you also feel a little bit challenged and convicted? And it's a, raising that hand high, Michael. I'm with you, brother. It's good. Let's all bow our heads. You may be here, you may be watching online, and this may have stirred up some serious questions in your heart. It may have stirred up some questions about whether or not you're really a Christian. Because you recognize that you've never really believed those things. You've, You've never really truly surrendered and put your faith in Jesus. Like I say, maybe you blindly recited a prayer when you were five and you've lived your life thinking, man, everything's a-okay. God wants it all. He wants all of you. Every part. Every part of your heart. Every dream, every desire. He wants it all. And listen to me. You do not have to live in doubt as to whether or not you're a believer, whether or not you're saved. You simply have to make a decision. And I believe there are a lot of Christians who sit in church and they have not made that hard decision of, you know what? I'm gonna turn from the old life and I'm gonna follow Jesus. And I know I'm gonna mess it up sometimes, but I'm going to be quick to repent and I'm going to jump up and I'm going to keep on trucking forward with him and I'm going to allow him to use me to make a difference in my sphere of influence. I'm going to allow him to be my everything from this day forward. With your heads bowed. If that's you, like I said, I, I don't care if you've prayed a prayer before. The question is, Are you a follower of Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? Actually, I I usually don't ask it like this, but right now, if you're not sure, if you died today pulling out on the highway out of our parking lot, if you're not sure that you would be instantly in the presence of the Lord in heaven, raise your hand up anybody in this place that says I've got to know that I know that I know that I belong to Jesus 
Anybody in this place? Come on, guys. Raise your hands up high. Okay. You may be watching online. Doesn't matter if it's today live or if it's next year. This is a moment between you and God. We really have very little to do with it. (laughs) I invite you. We're going to pray a prayer. But recognize it's about the position of your heart. The Bible says that you got to repent. That's that putting your old life behind thing. And you surrender yourself to Jesus. You accept his sacrifice as yours. And you commit to following him for all of your days. Then you become a new creation then you don't have to ever doubt whether or not you belong to God. But you've got to set your mind and set your will. This is a decision that I'm going to make. Let's pray. You can pray with me or pray something like this. Say, Heavenly Father, recognize that I'm lost in my sin. But you already knew that. And you sent me a Savior. He came in the person of Jesus. Fully man, fully God, living a sinless life, but willingly paying my price, the penalty for my sins, and my shame, and my guilt, and even my sickness and disease. So today, Lord, I repent And I turn from my old life. I turn from my sin. And I go the opposite direction. I come straight to you. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Be Lord of my life. I confess you as my Savior. Confess you as my Lord. And not just in word only, but I'm going to live it out from this day forward. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you called me to be. That I will live out God's mandated purposes for my life to the end and into eternity. In Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord of my sin.